morning, everybody. Uh, glad to have those of you with us uh, online. If you're joining us in that way as well, grateful to have you participating with us. And if you can, uh, we'd love to have you with us in person at some point. But grateful for all of you being here today. Two invitations before we get into this weekend's message. Uh, one takes place as soon as this service is over, actually about 10 or 15 minutes after. We're having our AGM today. And you are all invited to stick around. I mean that. If you've never attended an AGM, uh, this is your golden opportunity because we've made it really, really easy. We're going to stay right here in this room. We'll just take a bit of a break. If you have kids upstairs, we do need you to go get your kids uh, in the nursery or upstairs in the kids' ministry. Uh, and if you need to be kind of in the back or kids need to run around or kids are in here, we are okay with that. We're going to keep this uh, as tight as we can possibly make it. We'll get rolling just a few minutes after we're done. Uh, we are going to ask members if you would sign in. Because when we do uh, a vote of affirmation for elders, we do that by paper ballot, and we're going to have you register, sign in, and you'll receive your ballot. That'll take place at one of these tables up front. So uh, when we're done, just mill around a little bit, but if you can just stick around for a little while, we're going to uh, do that elder vote. We're going to look at the year-end financials and just do a little bit of a preview uh, as to what's coming as we also look back. And then we will have a time where you can ask any question that you might want to ask of some of our leadership crew uh, that will be up here. So that will take place about 10 or 15 minutes after this service. One other invitation is for anybody who wishes to uh, go through this season of giving and generosity by supporting our We Care ministry and some of our friends who are uh, on the streets and maybe just a, a little under-resourced in this time. And we're going to uh, do these backpacks, these bags for our We Care ministry. Our We Care team is currently this morning as we speak downtown uh, ministering to some folks in the inner city. Uh, providing some basic uh, goods as well as doing a, a short worship service. And if you would like to uh, help them through the Christmas season, give some of our friends a little extra gift, uh, you can pick up one of those bags at the end of the service today in the atrium and then bring those back on the 16th. And then our We Care team will distribute those over the next uh, few weeks of the holidays. So in my introductory uh, blurb, if you will, in Friday's electronic news, we send those out on Fridays, I mentioned how this weekend is kind of a bridge weekend. So looking ahead, next weekend is the start of Advent. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and it lines up really nicely this year in that Sunday the 3rd is the first Sunday of Advent, the last Sunday of Advent is Christmas Eve on the 24th. So it's just kind of fun when it lines up this way. So next weekend, I want to let you know, we are all in on Christmas. The big tree is going to go up this week. Uh, next Sunday morning, our treehouse kids will be on. The, it's always just a really, really fun morning. We get all the cuteness factor goes up by about 100x next weekend. I'm reasonably cute, but man, uh, these kids next weekend are going to just, you're going to love that experience. There's going to be some activities after the service for kids and families. Then on the second weekend of Advent, Steve Bell is going to be here. Steve's going to lead worship for us at both our weekend services, a concert that weekend, that Sunday night uh, with all kinds of Advent themes. And then we're all moving toward our Christmas Eve services. Listen, this is one of the best times of the year to consider inviting somebody to join you. Uh, I find most people are very open to considering a Christmas-type Advent-type service, and so especially uh, those that are happening around Christmas Eve. You can find out all the details as to everything that's happening through the Christmas season. Spack 
Ca slash Christmas, all the stuff's there. And we're going to do a series that I'm kind of looking forward to. We're going to take a bit of a new angle on Christmas, or just maybe a fresh angle. Uh, this past summer, Pastor Rita gave me a book. Uh, it's called The Art of Advent, and it's just a book that takes a whole bunch of historical art pieces, portraits, paintings, and then kind of uh, describes what's going on in these portraits. Many of them are Advent-themed. So we've picked out four that we're going to look at together, and it's going to be uh, just a new wrinkle on the Christmas story. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun over the next few weeks. So again, starting next weekend, it's kind of all Christmas, all Advent. And, and we're going to try to do this in such a way that maybe provides um, a, an extra level of hope and encouragement and joy. We're going to try to give the community and you and each other what we need most right now, because this is a pretty hostile world, it's a polarized world, it's a troubled world, a couple of major wars going on. So we're going to try to just provide that calm Christmas joy and spirit here. So back to the bridge idea. If, if this weekend we're sort of looking ahead to what's coming in Advent, now let me look back on where we've been over the last few weekends in this deeply rooted series that we began at the end of September, we've been studying Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the famous Sermon on the Mount. This is the best of the best of Jesus' teaching on a whole bunch of topics. And we say around here that our purpose is to do everything we can to develop and develop each other as deeply rooted followers of Jesus. And there's no better description in the New Testament than this series of teachings from Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. There's just, that's the best of the best. And this has been our focus the entire fall. And if you missed anything, it's all on our website or our YouTube page. It'll live there for a while. And it's bold teaching from Jesus. He sets the bar very high for his followers in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I'm going to show you some examples just to, to remind you as to where we've been. A little recap here. So here's an example from chapter 5. Jesus says, you've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus says deeply rooted followers love their enemies. Now, I realize enemies might sound a little extreme. Maybe you caught that in the opening song we did today. There's that line in there about being seated near an enemy. Some of you are thinking, I don't have any enemies. What are you talking Enemies? Listen, I think you all have enemies. We all do. Um, there's probably not somebody out in the parking lot right now keying your car. Like, that's not the kind of enemy I'm talking about. Uh, don't think about enemies that way. Uh, an, enemy, uh, an enemy is anybody... <laughs> yeah, I kind of did, didn't I? <laughs> I was hoping nobody noticed, but about 50 of you did. <sighs> well, that's the worst one in a while. Did you catch it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll be hearing about that one this week, I for sure. Anyway, an enemy is somebody you find uh, difficult to love. Think about it in that way. I'm not going to use the word anywhere. Uh, one way to show yourself a follower of Jesus is just by loving those you find difficult to love. And it could be anybody, a work colleague, a journalist, a commentator, a neighbor, a family member, a political opponent. It might be the person sitting next to you. Hope not, but it might be. Your enemy might be somebody who wronged you or lied about you or cheated you or betrayed you or abused you or damaged your reputation. Maybe they took money from you. Maybe they just made fun of you at some point. Jesus says, 
loved them. Jesus loved the people who killed him. Jesus knew about loving enemies. And so Jesus says deeply rooted followers love the people they find difficult to love. So here's another one from Jesus. This is from chapter six where he says, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. So Jesus loves secret service. He, he says this, I think, because there's people listening to him teach who are doing acts of piety, who are doing good deeds to be noticed by other people. This is all kind of image management is what Jesus is saying. Hey, don't worry about that stuff. He, he definitely says, do the good things, do good things for others, but be okay with doing them secretly. So anybody else willing to admit that they sometimes do kind things, even good things, sort of hoping to be noticed. Sometimes I do things around the house and I kind of hope my wife will notice if I clean the fridge or I fold the lawn. I kind of want that little affirmation, that little praise a little bit. Sometimes at work, I go out of my way to make sure if there's a good idea that people know it was my idea. I've done that. Sometimes image management is just nuancing words. I sometimes do that to make it appear as though I'm smarter or I'm stronger or I'm more loving or I'm more holy or more of an encourager than I really am. I, that's who I can be sometimes. And Jesus says, Greg, maybe to you as well, don't do that. You don't need to do that. Deeply rooted followers let go of the need for credit. There's another place in chapter six where Jesus says we shouldn't worry so much. Deeply rooted followers don't stress about things that are outside of their control. This is how he says it. He says, don't worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Is life not more than food in your body, more than clothing? Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is Jesus' way of saying that his followers should find the capacity to just rest their minds. Take some edge off your stress by resting in God, trusting that he's got you, he's got this, he's got your life, he's got a plan, and his plan is good. Jesus says stuff like this a lot. He says, come to me if you're tired, or you're stressed, or you're worried, or you're burdened or discouraged, talk to me. Be still and rest your mind. Now, I'd like to think that this is one of the easier challenges for us, but it's it's not always easy. A lot of you know this. A lot of you are in leadership roles in the marketplace. You know it's not easy. Even if you're a parent, like this is, this is not easy. This one's hard. Yet Jesus says deeply rooted followers have their minds at ease. And here's another reminder from when I taught last weekend. Jesus says, don't judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And so the challenge here is, is for followers to render judgment with extreme caution. Followers of Jesus, if they're you know, living the Jesus way, strive not to condemn anybody in thought or word or deed. They avoid gossip. They avoid even talking about other people in a gossipy way when they're with a safe person who says, hey, I, I won't betray your confidence. They just are cautious about that. 
Listen, if, if we were to give the Sermon on the Mount the time it deserves, we would probably want to devote like 20 or 25 weekends. I only had nine to cover these three chapters, Rita and Brody and I, but we only had nine. So admittedly, we couldn't get to every single word. So here's one we didn't cover, but this is worth considering even briefly today. Jesus says in chapter seven, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, to them the door will be open. Now, it's tempting to read that and think, well, wow, this is a pretty cool promise. Uh, it might look that, you know, like God is saying, hey, just ask for whatever you want and boom, it will be yours. That's not really what deeply rooted followers understand this to be. They know that, that this is not a way to sort of get everything they want. Jesus, I think what he's doing here is urging his followers to persist in the pursuit of God. As a pastor, I talk to a lot of people about their faith journey, and nothing makes me sadder sometimes than hearing people say, been there, done that, tried that, not going to do it anymore. I hear people say sometimes, I tried prayer, nothing happened, I'm not even sure God's listening, I tried reading the Bible, I got nowhere, I tried joining a serving team, that did not go well, I tried a life group, and eh, wasn't that fun. I, I've tried to steer conversations toward matters of the soul and spirit with friends, and they really didn't want to go there, some even laughed at me. So if you've had good intentions, good spiritual intentions, and, and really didn't follow through, or if you did and nothing even happened, Jesus says, the word from Jesus is, don't stop. Keep on going, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and you will receive, you will find. Now, believe it or not, all that I just did was introduction. Um, everything I've been doing here is just setting up what is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the conclusion of this great group of teaching. So one more time. Picture yourself like on a bridge, uh, and perhaps your bridge has you standing between the challenging words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and all the warm and fuzzy and feel-good Christmas story stuff that's coming. All of that's fine, but more importantly, consider yourself at a moment of introspection where you assess whether you are indeed a deeply rooted follower or at least headed in that direction, or maybe you're merely an admirer of Jesus. And I wanna illustrate the difference. Like many of you, I'm an Oilers fan. I watch as many games as I can, often on PBR. I, I read the game stories. I follow the social media accounts. I read Kurt Levin's Nine Things, read it this morning. But I try to maintain sort of a uh, an even keel about this. I try not to get too high or too low or let my emotions get, you know, yo-yoed by especially this year how the team is playing. I want them to win. I'm disappointed when they lose. But listen, I don't, I don't own a jersey. I've never wanted to have a jersey necessarily. I don't understand why anybody would walk around with somebody else's name on their back. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm not that hardcore of a fan, despite what my wife might say. I try to keep things in perspective. And because at the end of the day, we're talking about a game, right? We're talking about a game. But there's another category of Oilers fans who just take it to a whole other level. Sometimes they look like this. 
Now, that dad probably has a home jersey and a away jersey and a throwback and a heritage classic, um, face paint, wigs. The I mean, that's a fan who is into it. And on rare occasions when I get to go to a game, yes, I will stand and I will cheer after a goal, but fans like this, they cheer nonstop. They are so hardcore. They're cheering, yelling, and screaming at the television at home. They're yelling in the arena. They especially scream after a game when things don't go so well. I mean, there are hardcore, deeply rooted followers of the Oilers, clearly totally committed. I think I'm kind of more of an admirer of the Oilers but I'm not really a deeply rooted follower, and there's a difference. An admirer is impressed, a follower is sold out, an admirer applauds, a follower puts on jerseys and face paint and high fives strangers after a goal in the arena. They are totally in. Or think of it this way, a lot of people admired Terry Fox when he attempted to run across Canada, but not that many people put on running shoes and ran with him. In the U.S., a lot of people admired Martin Luther King. Some even marched with him, but very few people went to jail with him. When Mother Teresa died more than 25 years ago, she died as one of the most admired women in the world, but very few people admired her enough to join her and live among the poor and the dying. So I'm comparing casual admirers and deeply rooted followers for a reason, because I think that's exactly what Jesus does as he wraps up the greatest sermon in history. The way Matthew describes it, it looks like Jesus looks at the crowd that day on the side of the hill, and he recognizes that those listening to him are probably in one of two camps. First, there are casual observers. They're just checking things out. Maybe they're there because they're with somebody who is a little bit more all in, and they're just trying to be supportive. But there's another group that's there too, and I'm talking about the people who are all in the deeply rooted people. Sometimes they're referred to as disciples. And both groups are crowding in close, listening to Jesus, and they're hanging on every word. And this is how Jesus, or how Matthew, describes the crowd's reaction to Jesus when he wraps up. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of the religious law. So it looks like for a segment of those present, something happens in them which moves them beyond admiration. Their hearts are pounding, their, their hearts are they're racing because something deep within them is saying, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. I didn't even know I was missing this until now, but now I realize I want Jesus. I want him. I want to live his way. I want to experience his forgiveness. I want his love and grace. I want to orient my life around him and his teaching. I want to have a life beyond worry and beyond fear. I don't want to be a slave to sexual desire or the drive for more and more stuff. I want to have confidence about the life after this one. I want to be part of God's mission to redeem the world. I would rather have what this man offers than anything else the world has to offer. Therefore, I will pay any price. I will do whatever he wants me to do. I will go where he wants me to go. I will give what he wants me to give. I will be whatever he wants me to be. But I am leaving admirer status, and I'm taking up my place among the deeply devoted followers. This seems like what Jesus is after at the end here. He knows that his teaching and his life is going to mess with people. 
but he's constantly asking people to move beyond admiring to following. And he does this by describing the reality of God's kingdom. And then he says, choose. A couple of places where he does this in, in the New Testament. There's a story in John chapter 3. Some of you know the story. It's the story of Nicodemus, who's a, a pretty important man in his community. And he comes to Jesus with some questions. Clearly, as the story unfolds, he starts out as an admirer. He's, he's heard about Jesus. He's been paying attention to him a little bit. But for him to come to Jesus with questions is risky because to be seen as a follower for a man in his position, it's, it's a risky thing. So he comes to Jesus at night and he he starts asking some questions, and, and they have this uh, back and forth exchange, and eventually Jesus says to Nicodemus, you got to be born again. You have, to, you have to become my follower. You should let my spirit remake you, publicly identify with me. There's another similar example in the Gospel of Mark. I'm thinking again of another person who's an admirer of Jesus. This time he's just described, we don't know his name, he's described as a rich young ruler. So a wealthy, pretty powerful young guy. And like Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus with questions about eternity, questions about the kingdom, about the reality of God's kingdom. And, and Jesus says to him, listen, you want to experience something pretty amazing? Why don't you sell your possessions, sell your stuff? and then use your resources to bless the poor. Give away what you have and then come follow me. And he won't do it. The young rich man won't do it. Mark says he walks away sad. See, he's fine with admiring Jesus, but if following means it's gonna affect his life and his lifestyle and his financial plans, well, he's out at that point. See, Jesus does this all the time. He asks people, are you gonna admire me or are you actually gonna follow me for real? And all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes his kind of life, the kingdom life. He gives example after example of what his way looks like. And right near the end of the sermon, he says, if you want this life, here's how you obtain it. Now, admittedly, uh, this part is a little bit confusing. So bear with me for just a couple of moments here as I walk you through something uh, that is a little cumbersome and a little bit hard to wrap your mind around. Jesus says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. So the path to Jesus, to the kingdom life with God is called narrow. That doesn't mean it's difficult to become a Christian. What it means, though, is there's only one way to be a deeply rooted follower. There's only one way to the kingdom life. And some people, most people maybe even, refuse to walk that road. The narrow way is Jesus. You walk the narrow way when you love Jesus, when you surrender to Jesus, when you trust him, when you hold nothing back. The broad way is the way of the crowd. It's just drifting along through life, admiring Jesus, but not really yielding. The broad way is an attempt to hold on to some control. So as the Sermon on the Mount winds down, the way uh, Matthew kind of puts it together for us, I'm summarizing the last few uh, paragraphs of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives a series of illustrations, and each of them is a stark contrast designed to force people to choose, to have that moment of introspection to see where they're at. So there's a narrow gate and a wide gate. There's no third gate. There's a good tree and a bad tree. There's no third tree. 
There's true disciples and there's false disciples. There's nothing in between. And then there's this illustration of a house built on a rock and a house built on sand. And this is a particularly vivid uh, illustration. It's another one of Jesus' parables. So in this grand finale, this is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes two men uh, who have a lot in common. They're from the same town, and they both live in houses that they've built with their own hands. So their experiences, Jesus is describing these two guys as very similar. But there is one big difference between them, and the difference is not born out of ignorance. It's that one of them has ignored what Jesus says. Jesus says, live your life a certain way. Live as a deeply rooted follower of mine. Trust me and trust what I say. But one of them has said, no thanks. I'm just gonna do it my way. Jesus says of the one guy, it's like that guy's whole life is built on a sand pile that's very unstable. You can't really you can't really square anything up if you're gonna build a structure on something like this. There's not a foundation that's gonna hold, it's gonna be all mushy like it, it is for me. And if your life is built kind of on a foundation like this, Jesus says, when those storms come, and eventually they'll come, like they're coming for all of us, you're not gonna be able to withstand, your, your, your foundation of your life is gonna fall apart a little bit because it's not built on anything strong. And then he says there's another man, another way, another way to do life, and that's to build a life on a solid foundation. And on a foundation like this one, when those inevitable storms come, and they will come, some of you are in them right now today, but if you're on solid ground, if you're on something that supports the stress and the strain and the weight, Jesus' word is you will be able to withstand that storm because your feet are planted on something solid. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is how it looks if you read it in the scriptures. Jesus says this very same thing. Anybody who listens to my teaching and follows it is like a wise person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But the difficult news is the opposite. Anybody who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is like a foolish person who builds the foundation of their life on sand when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it'll collapse like a mighty crash. There's a way to build a house of your life. There's two ways, really. One's solid and one's not. There's no third way. So if you are willing to engage in that moment of introspection, I'm asking you to be honest with yourself about whether you really are a deeply rooted follower or at least headed in that direction or if you're merely an admirer of Jesus. And please take no offense when I say that the admiring Jesus group seems to be growing larger and larger all the time. There's a lot of admirers in our world. There's a lot of admirers in our community. There's a lot of admirers in our church. There's a lot of us that are more admirers than actual followers. I just can tell by the way we sort of haphazardly engage with Jesus. You know, we are very, you know, inconsistent in our engagement with him. We try a little bit of scripture. We give a little bit. We serve a little bit. But if we're honest, a lot of us are still striving to stay in control. 
Being a deeply rooted follower involves letting go. It involves risk. It requires humbling yourself and immersing yourself in Jesus' teaching and then actually obeying what you see. A lot of people confronted with this choice choose to do life their way rather than the Jesus way, and that's why we keep God at a distance. And listen, church people are really good at this. When we're here, we worship, we sing, we talk the Jesus talk, but when we're out of town, we're at school, we're at work, or even in our homes, we clearly don't stand with Jesus. Some of you haven't yet reached clarity on the admirer versus deeply rooted follower thing. So again, be honest. Is Jesus only Savior but not yet Lord? Is he truly your king? Is your honest answer, eh, not yet? Because I'm assuming in this room this morning is kind of the same two groups of people that Jesus faced on the side of the hill, admirers and followers. And by saying this, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, but without question, I am trying to entice some of the admirers to come over into the follower camp. Because I really do believe that's the pathway to the best possible life. I don't think you'll regret it. So let me just ask one more time the question that I've been asking for the last few minutes in various forms. Do you know him for real? Do you follow him? Is he your king? Clarifying your answer to those questions is one of the most important things you can do. And I want to describe for you how you can do it. When confronted with a choice about Jesus, most people feel guilty, and maybe that's you. Deep down inside, you know that you have some sin struggles. You know you're not a spiritual giant. You know, you know you're not mature enough to call yourself a deeply rooted disciple quite yet. Well, guess what? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says your sin problem is actually way worse than you think. You know, you thought thou shalt not murder just means, you know, as long as you don't commit homicide, you and God are okay. Well, the truth is, if you have any anger or vengeance in you, even a little bit, you're already in trouble. That's sin, and it's stained you. And if you think no adultery means as long as you avoid intercourse with somebody else's spouse, you're okay. The truth is, your heart's full of lust, my heart's full of lust. Lust is mismanaged desire. Uh, our lack of control has created a sin problem that we'll never be able to clean up. But the good news is Jesus says, I can. I can take care of that. He said he'd die on a cross and put your sin and my sin on his back. He'll close the gap between us and God. He'll pay the debt no amount of good deeds can pay. That's grace. That's Jesus. That's the one who forgives your sins and mine, which is why what we did at the start of the service by going to the table together is so important. So, as we wrap this whole thing up, why not take Jesus up on his offer and pursue him as a deeply rooted follower? He never presents himself as a good spiritual teacher to be admired from a distance. He presents himself as master and Lord, one to be followed and served and obeyed and worshiped. That's the narrow way, but there is no other way. Jesus says that one day all of eternity, all of humanity will be in two camps, those who follow him and those who reject him. There's no third option. There's no third gate, third house. And I'm just asking you to be honest about which camp you're in. This is your moment to decide. So if you're willing, would you bow your heads and just adopt a posture of prayer? And I'm going to give you a few moments to respond and talk with God. I'm not going to ask you to stand or raise your hand or walk or anything like that. But listen. If you've never made a concrete decision to pursue life 
as a deeply rooted follower of Jesus, you can do that now by acknowledging your sin, by receiving the forgiveness Jesus offers, and telling him confidently that you're making him king. Would you do that? Prayerfully say to him, Jesus, I yield to you, and with your help, as best I can, I will do what you say. I will choose to follow. Heavenly Father, hear the prayers of your people now. So as we prepare to close this service, um, I've asked our, our worship leaders to come back here and we're gonna reprise uh, that song that we sang earlier, Firm Foundation, a little bit. And I just think it's a great way to punctuate the series and the service. And maybe this uh, lyric will give voice to what's going on in your heart. And I want you to sing this with gusto and enthusiasm as followers of him. And just one more reminder that uh, when we're done here, uh, some of our prayer team members, even as we're getting ready for the AGM, some of our prayer team members will be down front here. Look for the lanyards and let us pray for you and encourage you. So if you're willing and able, why don't you stand together and let's express our hearts as followers of Jesus this morning.